Lesson 1 for June 28 to July 4, Our Loving Heavenly Father. Most of us probably remember a great teacher who made an impact on our lives, whom we admired and appreciated. Some teachers transcend their own times and continue to influence subsequent generations. Outstanding teachers have decisively impacted life and thought and are often universally recognised. Jesus, of course, was the greatest teacher of all. His contemporaries acknowledged him as a teacher, for he exhibited the general characteristics of a first-century rabbi. As was the practice, he would sit down to teach. He often quoted the scriptures and then commented on them. Finally, Jesus had a group of disciples who attentively listened to his words and followed and served him. These were the basic attributes of teachers in his time and place. Fundamental differences between Jesus and the other teachers, however, did exist. While the latter concentrated mostly on the intellectual aspects of a subject, Jesus addressed the whole being of his audience and invited them to make a decision in favour of God. Besides, those who heard Jesus were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, as it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 22. Christ's authority gained credibility by the fact that he practiced what he taught. But above all, the source of his authority was his own person. Jesus taught the truth because he is the truth. As God incarnated, he said, Thus says the Lord, yet would then later add, But I say to you. This quarter, we'll study some of the main teachings of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. Our Saviour taught many things pertaining to our spiritual and practical lives. He presented his teachings to different audiences, being careful to adapt his method to each person. Sometimes he preached a sermon. Other times he dialogued with individuals, or with groups. Sometimes he spoke openly, and other times he had to conceal the meaning of his words. In every case, however, he taught truth about God and salvation. There could be many ways to organize and expound the teachings of Jesus. It would be possible, for example, to study his parables or to analyze his various sermons. Another approach would be to consider his dialogues with individuals or groups and his discussions with his opponents. Likewise, it would be interesting to focus on his deeds, his attitudes and his miracles, which were ways he also used to teach important lessons. Each approach would be fruitful, but in order to grasp a comprehensive picture of Jesus' teachings, this quarter's lesson will combine several approaches. It will come at his teachings more systematically, gathering how Jesus taught particular topics on different occasions and in different ways, which will give us a good understanding of most of his teachings. When we open the scriptures this quarter and read Jesus' words, let us picture ourselves among his attentive listeners on the mountainside, by the sea, or in the synagogue. Let us pray for spiritual discernment to understand his message and to grasp his unfathomable love manifested on the cross. And, as we hear his tender voice calling us to follow him, let us renew our commitment to walk daily with him by faith and in obedience. The more we spend time at his feet, 
the more we will say, as did the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Luke 24, 32 Sabbath afternoon, June 28 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to a whole new series of lessons about the teachings of Jesus, our Saviour, the one who came that each of us could have eternal life. And he taught so many wonderful things. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, help us understand more of what you have there for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Let's read that again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Jesus delighted to speak of God as the Father. According to the Gospels, Jesus applied the name Father to God more than 130 times. On various occasions, he added adjectives, Heavenly Father in Matthew 6.14, Living Father in John 6.57, Holy Father in John 17.11, and Righteous Father in John 17.25. The name describes the intimate bond that should unite us to our Lord. Traditionally, a father provides love, protection, security, sustenance and identity for a family. A father gives a name to the family and keeps its members together. We can enjoy these and many other benefits when we accept God as our Heavenly Father. Though it is so essential for us to know the Father, our aim should not be just intellectual and theoretical knowledge. In the Bible, to know someone means to have a personal, intimate relation with him or her. How much more so with our Heavenly Father? This week, we will explore what Jesus taught about our Father and about his infinite love for us. We will look too at the close relationship of the Father with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Sunday, June 29, Our Father in Heaven Father was not a new name for God. The Old Testament sometimes presented him as our Father. For instance, Isaiah 63, verse 16, Doubtless you are our Father, though Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from everlasting is your name. And Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. And Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 4. Will you not from this time cry to me, my Father? You are the guide of my youth. And the same chapter, verse 
Verse 19, But I said, How can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, You shall call me my father, and not turn away from me. And Psalm 130, sorry, 103, verse 13, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. However, it was not the most used name for him. For Israel, the personal name of God was Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, probably pronounced Yahweh, which appears more than 6,800 times in the Old Testament. Jesus did not come to reveal a different God from Yahweh. Rather, his mission was to complete the revelation that God had made of himself in the Old Testament. In doing so, he presented God as our Heavenly Father. Jesus made clear that the Father is in heaven. It is important to remember this truth in order to have the right attitude toward God. We have a loving Father who is concerned with the needs of his children. At the same time, we recognize that this caring Father is in heaven, where millions of angels worship him because he is the only sovereign of the universe, holy and omnipotent. The fact that he is our Father invites us to approach him with the confidence of a child. On the other hand... The truth that he is in heaven reminds us of our transcendence and the need to worship him with reverence. To emphasize one of these aspects at the expense of the other would lead us to a distorted concept of God with far-reaching consequences for our practical daily lives. Question. Read Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 to 11. What does it tell us about how a human father can reflect the character of our Heavenly Father? Matthew 7, beginning at verse 9. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Not everyone has had a loving, caring father. For various reasons, some may not even have known their father. Therefore, for them to call God my father may have little, if any, meaning. However, all of us have an idea of what a good earthly father would be. Besides, we may have known some people who did portray the characteristics of a good father. We know that human fathers are far from perfect, but we also know that most fathers love their children and, in spite of their shortcomings, they try to give them the best they can. Imagine, then, what our Father in Heaven can do for us. So to finish today, a question. What does it mean for you personally to address God as your Heavenly Father? What should it mean to you. Monday, June 30, revealed by the Son. Talking about the Father, John says in 
John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, sin has hindered us from knowing God. Moses wanted to see God, but the Lord explained to him in Exodus 33 verse 20, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Nevertheless, our priority should be to know God, because eternal life is to know the Father, as it says in John 17.3. Question. What do we especially need to know about God? We'll look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, and why are these things important for us to know? Jeremiah 9, verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. In the great controversy, Satan's main attack has been against the character of God. The devil made every effort to convince everyone that God is selfish, severe and arbitrary. The best way to meet this accusation was for him to live on this earth in order to demonstrate the falsehood of the charges. Jesus came to represent God's nature and character and to correct the distorted concept that many had developed about the Godhead. John 1.18, the only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Question. Read John chapter 14 verses 8 to 10. Notice how little the disciples knew about the Father after being with Jesus for almost, well, for more than three years. What can we learn for ourselves from their lack of comprehension? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus was sad and astonished to hear Philip's question. His gentle rebuke actually reveals his patient love toward his dull disciples. Jesus' response implied something like this. Is it possible that after walking with me, hearing my words, seeing my miracles of feeding the crowds, of healing the sick and of raising the dead, you do not know me? Is it possible that you do not recognize the Father in the works that he does through me? The disciples' failure to know the Father through Jesus did not mean that Jesus had misinterpreted the Father. On the contrary, Jesus was sure that he had fulfilled his mission of revealing the Father in a fuller way than had ever been seen before. He could say to the disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. He who has seen me has seen the Father.
Tuesday, July 1, The Love of Our Heavenly Father Jesus came to emphasize what the Old Testament had already affirmed. The Father looks at us with incomparable love. We see this in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It is amazing that the Almighty God, who rules the immense universe, would allow us insignificant poor sinners living on a tiny planet in the midst of billions of galaxies to call Him Father. He does so because He loves us. Question. What supreme evidence did the Father give us to demonstrate his love? Well, let's go to John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christ was not nailed to the cross in order to create in the Father's heart a love for humanity. Christ's atoning death was not the means to convince the Father to love us. It happened because the Father had already loved us, even before the foundation of the world. And what greater evidence do we have, could we have, of his love than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? As Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, page 13, The Father loves us not because of the great propitiation, but He provided the propitiation because He loves us. Some tend to think that the Father is reluctant to love us. Nevertheless, the fact that Jesus is our mediator does not mean that He has to persuade the Father to love us. Christ Himself dispelled this wrong idea when He said, the Father himself loves you, in John sixteen twenty seven. Question. Read Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, and meditate on the Father's love of the prodigal son. Make a list of the many evidences the son had of his father's love. Then he said a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, 
and ran, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this is my son. My he was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Question to finish today. How are we, each of us in our own way, like the prodigal son? In what ways have you experienced something similar to what he did? Wednesday, July 2, The Compassionate Care of Our Heavenly Father It is important to know that we are cared for. Even though some people may be indifferent and neglectful toward us, Jesus taught that our Heavenly Father cares for us in every possible way. His mercy and tenderness are not subject to the ups and downs so common in human temperaments. His love is steadfast and unchanging, regardless of the circumstances. Question. Read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. What encouraging words are found here, and how can we learn to better trust in God as he is revealed in these verses? beginning at verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." In Steps to Christ, page 100, Ellen White writes, There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. There is no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. No calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No joy cheer. No sincere prayer escape the lips of which our Heavenly Father is unobservant, or in which he takes no immediate interest. As it says in Psalm 147.3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though they were not 
another soul upon the earth to share his watch care, not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. End of quote. Amid all the encouraging words here, we cannot ignore the fact that tragedy and suffering do strike us. Even in the text for today, Jesus spoke of how sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof in Matthew 6.34, implying that not everything is going to go well for us. We do have to live with evil and its doleful consequences. The point is, even amid all that, we are assured of the Father's love for us, a love revealed to us in so many ways, most of all by the cross. How crucial, then, that we constantly keep the gifts and blessings of our Heavenly Father before us. Otherwise, we can easily become discouraged when evil strikes, which it inevitably does. So to finish the day, in what ways, during a time of crisis, were you able to see the reality of God's love for you? What did you learn from that experience that you can share with someone else who might be struggling and, amid those struggles, questioning the reality of God's love. Thursday, July 3, The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. In different ways, Jesus taught and demonstrated that three divine persons constitute the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Although we cannot explain this truth rationally, we accept it by faith, like many of the truths revealed in Scripture, and together with Paul, we strive to attain a full knowledge of the mystery of God, as expressed in Colossians 2.2. 2. That is, though there is much we don't understand, we can seek by faith, obedience, prayer and study to learn more and more. Question. The three persons of the Godhead were active in the key moments of the life of Jesus. Summarize the role of each one in the following events. First of all, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35 the birth of Jesus. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women." But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, the baptism of Jesus. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. 
And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, dealing with the crucifixion, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When Jesus' earthly ministry was about to finish, he promised his distressed disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit. Here again we see the three persons working together. I will pray the Father, Jesus assured them, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And that's from John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus explained that there is complete harmony and cooperation between the three divine persons in the plan of salvation. As the Son glorified the Father, demonstrating his love as expressed in John 17.4, so the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, revealing his grace and love to the world as well. So to finish today, think through some of the other revealed truths that are difficult to comprehend through rational thought alone. At the same time, think about many things in the natural world that are similarly difficult to comprehend. What should these mysteries tell us about the limits of our rational thought and the need to live by faith? Bring your answers to class on Sabbath. Friday, the 4th of July. From the book Christ Subject Lessons, page 141 and 142, we read, In order to strengthen our confidence in God, Christ teaches us to address him by a new name, a name entwined with the dearest associations of the human heart. He gives us the privilege of calling the infinite God our Father. This name, spoken to him and of him, is a sign of our love and trust toward him, and a pledge of his regard and relationship to us. Spoken when asking his favour or blessing, it is as music in his ears. That we might not think it presumption to call him by this name, he has repeated it again and again. He desires us to become familiar with the appellation. God regards us as his children. He has redeemed us out of the careless world and has chosen us to become members of the royal family, sons and daughters of the heavenly king. He invites us to trust in him with a trust deeper and stronger than that of a child in his earthly father. Parents love their children, but the love of God is larger, broader, deeper than human love can possibly be. It is immeasurable. And from the Signs of the Times, September 30, 1889, these two sentences. Our Heavenly Father has expressed His love for us individually in the cross of Calvary. The Father loves us. He is full of compassion and tender mercy. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. If someone tells you that he or she has difficulties in loving God and trusting Him as a Heavenly Father because of bad experiences with an earthly father, how could you help this person to love God and have confidence in him? 
2. We know God loves us. Why then is there suffering? 3. As a class, go over your answers to Thursday's final question. 4. Think about the incredible size of the universe. Think too that the one who created it, Jesus, was the same one who died for us on the cross. How do we wrap our minds around this hopeful news? How can we learn to rejoice moment by moment in this amazing revelation of God's love? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled On Our Way Rejoicing I met the Saviour while studying in a simple little Seventh-day Adventist school in my home village in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. God gave me a burden to spread the message of the Adventist faith and I began to share my faith in the neighbourhood around my home church. Then I learned about Global Mission and began working to plant a church in an impoverished suburb of Kinshasa. I found a few Adventists in the area and called them together to ask God for guidance to build up his church. These few Adventists brought their friends to study God's word and before long 17 more believers were baptised. I was transferred to another area in Kinshasa where I found three Adventist families who lived far from the nearest church. We began meeting in a neighbour's yard every morning at five. The neighbours heard us singing and preaching and some joined us. The members invited other friends as well. Soon 30 people worshipped together in that little yard. We've continued to grow and today we have more than 60 adults and children. We've outgrown the member's yard and we rent an unfinished building that has no roof. We've hung a tarp to protect us from the sun and the rain. In spite of the lack of shelter, we are not dismayed. People continue to come. We have begun a Bible study program and we're confident that we'll continue to grow even more. When the owner of the building in which we worship completes its construction, we'll have to find another place to worship. Our members are poor. Most don't have money to feed and clothe their families and can't help build a house of worship. But we have abundant faith and we pray that God will provide a house of worship for us. Recently we learned that Global Mission will help us find land and build a church. We rejoice that the World Church cares about us and will help us build a simple house of worship. We don't have Bibles to share with new believers so it's difficult to nurture them. Many members can't afford to pay for public transportation to attend church each week. But our situation is not unique in Africa, and we don't let our poor circumstances dismay us. We continue on our way rejoicing that the King of Heaven is our Father, and He is preparing a heavenly mansion for us there. In the meantime, we thank God for His children everywhere who have not forgotten us and who faithfully give their mission offerings so that more of His children can be gathered in for the great harvest. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.